The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail. I am Tom Valentino. He's Travis Uly. No guests this week, but with everything happening with the Browns over the past 48 hours, Trav, I don't think we're going to really have any trouble filling up 45 minutes or an hour. No, I think that should be no problem. <laughs> so, um, we are recording on Monday night. Um, just I should probably let everybody know, if you're new here, a heads up that we do occasionally use four-letter words. Uh, last week, I did not mention that, but I figured it was probably going to be important today because I have a feeling this might get colorful. <laughs> <laughs> if anything brings it out, it's the best. Yeah, they did a whole lot of things over the last couple of days. Um, let's try to run through this uh, in some sort of order. I guess the first thing to start with is uh, they got rid of uh, general manager Ray Farber, head coach Mike Pettin. That came down pretty quickly last night after the final regular season game was over. Um, just as a starting point here, are we in agreement that that was the right move? Uh, Farmer, 100%. Petten, I'll say 99%, which I guess is good enough to say that it's the right move, yeah. Um, the funny thing was, did you notice, they, they're saying Farmer got, they let Farmer know, like, Friday or Saturday, and for some reason, he was still sitting in his box at the game on Sunday. Was he uh, trying to pull a Costanza with, like, uh, that, that episode where he slips his boss a Mickey or whatever? And he just, where he says, where they try to fire him and he just shows up on Monday anyway? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the deal was with that. Someone I heard said, hey, he probably tried to sell his tickets and no one was buying. <laughs> so, you know, there, which is fully understandable if... Uh, the product on the field and the, the cold temperatures that we experienced on Sunday. But, no, as far as whether it was the right thing, I got to think so. Um, although there's every time this happens, every two years, you're going to have the, pe- the people that uh, legitimately, and there is some point to be made there that if you just keep recycling people every two years, it doesn't matter if you have the right person. You're never going to have them long enough to find out. So... I mean, who knows if that's the case here. I get a feeling with Farmer that wasn't Petten. I think time will tell, but you got to think going from 7-9 and nine to 3-13 and 13 is uh, the wrong direction, to say the least. Yeah, they were not directionally correct. I think that was the term that Jimmy Haslam kept using. That, that's right. one of his favorite terms when he comes out of hibernation and uh, addresses the public. Is, is that like when they tell people who got fired that they were separated from their employment? <laughs> yes. Yeah, they were they were separated from the right direction apparently, but uh, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the whole thing about continuity because that was the one issue that I kind of had rolling around in my head, and I think I ultimately I, I'm never ever going to cheer for somebody to lose their job. I'm pretty sensitive to that for personal reasons among others, but um, Great. I, I I was okay with the Browns going in a different direction here, even though. It's been a constant uh, turnover cycle out in Berea for pretty much the last uh, 15 years or so, just because you can't, yes, you need continuity, but you need to have continuity um, for the right reasons. Um, You can't just 
keep people around for the sake of, well, we can't fire another person. I mean, if Ray Farmer was showing up for work every day and he spent his entire work day in his office on a practice putting green carpet, um, practicing putts, I mean, would that be okay? Well, we can't fire him. I mean, because we, we need to maintain continuity. I mean, like, where do you draw the line? And I just, that, that, I had no other reason. And it's like you said, especially with Farmer, I just, there was no other reason for me that he needed to stick around. I mean, just too many draft picks that have gone wayward. Free agency has been a mess. There's just nothing there. And, you know, Mike Patton, um, same thing, I think. And I understand why people would be a little bit more hesitant to to part ways with him. But there were some weird things that they did this year and just weird situations that I thought he put the team in, especially with like running players back out there when they're injured. Like there was a couple of times with Josh McCown that I just, I thought that was dangerous. Um, and it was something that really didn't get talked about a whole lot, but I know there was at least one or two occasions when McCown got sent back out there when he was obviously injured and I just, I got a problem with that. So, and again, I, I just, I'm looking at what they're doing and the way they, they've handled pretty much every key decision over the last couple of years. And it, it sucks, but here we are. The disconnect between him and between Farmer and Petten, though, was so apparent. Like anyone could tell that they weren't on the same page. Um, so you, you clearly had to let one of them go. And I, th- I think probably the, w- the one that was a little more in over his head was Farmer. But one of the things with, with coaches is if you're hiring a new GM, you're almost always hiring a new coach too. So it, it, they kind of go hand in hand. And I think just for where they were and what they showed this year, it's you can't really – you can't argue too much with either one because, yeah, continuity is important. But if you're going to be committed to continuity, it's got to be the right guy in the position first you can't just ride it out forever and hope that it's going to come together um i don't know if two years is long enough to do that or not i think probably probably not but if you have a pretty good feeling that it's not the right guy you might as well just cut bait as early as you can and and move on there was just nothing i saw especially uh, on the player personnel side that made me believe that there was any sort of a glimmer of hope and in terms of a lot of the most pretty much everybody that has come and gone previously about the only guy that I think, especially since Jimmy Haslam's been here, the only guy that I feel like didn't really get a totally fair shake was probably Rob Chudzinski. And he's the one guy yeah, that I, I still feel that. like could probably still maybe. Could yeah. Have. And I think he could still end up somewhere in a, in a head coaching position and carve out a nice niche for himself and have a nice career. Sure. I, I don't think we're ever going to, see the day when we're lamenting letting Ray Farmer go or Pat Shermer or Joe Banner or Mike Lombardi or I'll be honest. I, I, I never would have thought it at the time, but I'm not totally convinced that ban getting rid of Banner was a great move. Looking back, maybe that's weird hindsight for me, but I think we'd be in a better place if we still had him. Hmm. Maybe. And it's really interesting now that if you look at who they brought in or, or who they promoted, uh, Sashi Brown, 
the his background being mainly in non-football operations, and now all of a sudden he's going to oversee the 53-man roster. He's got a very non-traditional football background, a, a more of a business background. He, farm, or I'm sorry, a banner was kind of the prototype for that. So, and he, okay. I think, has been around the league a lot longer. Yeah, you might be onto something there. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to get back to with this is you what you said about if one has to go, then they both have to go when you're talking about the head coach and the general manager. In pretty much any other city in any other situation, I think that's 100% correct. The one weird thing is look at the way they've got this organization structured now going forward. I almost feel like with – whoever they hire is the GM reporting to Sashi Brown and then the head coach reporting directly to Jimmy Haslam, the owner, you almost probably could have gotten away with keeping the coach in place. If it was somebody you really still felt strongly about. Yeah, I think that you might be, you might be right, but I also feel like at the same time, even with those roles, which for whatever reason, if they decide they're going to try and reinvent the wheel, um, and do things a different way from every other team in the league. Um, I still think a GM that's going to come in, if you're going to get a guy that's like, that's the thing is what are they going to try to do? Are they going to try to get a, an established strong candidate? Or are they going to try to just do what they did with farmer and get this new up and coming hot name who, I mean, yeah, he was an internal guy, but he was the guy that in, in league circles, it seemed like at the time had a pretty good reputation, um, and as like one of these guys who was going to be a future GM. Um, so is that the way they're going to go is go with another guy who hasn't really proven anything, but you know, is mostly, uh, I don't know, rumors or whatever, or just that sort of a reputation that he's built as an up and coming type of guy. Um, I think everyone in Cleveland is pretty sick of that because that's all we ever get. And it never seems to work. But if you're going to get a guy who's in demand, I think he wants his own coach. Even if the coach isn't reporting to him, he wants a coach who he knows he'll be on the same page with. You're saying Sashi Brown wants a coach that's going to be on the same page? or I would think any GM they bring in is going to want a coach. So That's why I think you kind of had to get rid of the coach too, because even if the coach isn't reporting directly to that GM, um, he still wants a guy in that position that's coaching the team that sort of has the same mindset with him in terms of personnel and uh, is, is he understands that guy's coaching style. So when he's filling out a roster, he knows the kind of players that guy's looking for. Sure. But I mean, the one thing that Haslam said last night during his press conference was that they're going to go out and they're going to hire the coach first. And then the coach is going to have input on who the GM is going to be. I don't think this is going to be a general manager in the traditional sense that we understand that position to be. This is more of a pro personnel guy who's going to be basically carrying out marching orders from everybody else around him, if I'm reading this right. Yeah, that's that's sort of the feeling I've gotten from it, too. And I don't know. I feel like it's, that's another another of the many missteps in this adventure here that we're going through. Um, I, I'm not sure what, what Jimmy Haslam thinks. He went on TV or on in his interview last night and he said, Hey, this isn't the same as when I was a minority owner for the Steelers being a majority owner who has to make these decisions is, is a big deal. And he's right, but you have the blueprint. You, you know, kind of what, 
what sort of structure you need to have to be successful in this league. There's a reason everyone does it this way. It's not just guessing. Um, the teams that are incredibly successful do it, and the ones that aren't that successful try to do it by trying. I, I just feel like he's already sh- sort of shown that he doesn't like he hired the coach first last time. Yeah, didn't they, it didn't they hire Petten before Farmer last time, and that didn't work out. So why would we have him? Like, yes, I understand he's the owner and he paid a billion dollars and it's his team. You can do whatever he wants with it. But isn't usually the sign of a good leader knowing what you're not that good at? Yeah, and, and the whole hiring of Petten was very strange because if I remember it correctly, and all these hirings and firings tend to blur together after a while, um, I think he was like the fifth choice. Um, yeah, yeah, he was like the fifth choice and... Um, Banner and Lombardi were in on that process and it wasn't until about a week or two after Petten came in that those guys were let go and that we uh, the Browns moved um, Farmer up uh, to the GM position which is just yeah nothing about this nothing about nothing since Haslam's taken over has gone like the logical normal way and I don't know. I never thought I'd see the day when I was like, God, can we just get Lerner back? But Haslam just seems even more clueless, but also more like arrogant. I think he probably has about the same knowledge level as Lerner had, but Lerner knew well enough, hey, I'll get, I'll pay some guys to get in there and make those decisions for me. And yeah, that backfired a little bit. You had um, Holmgren taking money from him basically and not working hard and stuff like that. But he at least identified what strengths he didn't have. I'm not sure. I think Haslam is sort of in the mold of putting blame on other people, and when they don't do well, he just takes those responsibilities on himself, even though he's not really capable of making those decisions either. I think that if that makes yeah, sense. I think the thing that bothers me the most about this is with all the past incarnations of the Browns front office and coaching setup. At least on paper, at the start, I could understand where they were going, and I could understand how it was going to work, and I could buy in on it. And this is the first time out of all of them that, like, on day one, I'm looking at it, and I can already see where this thing could go off the rails and go off the rails really quickly. I, I just That's because there's a hundred different ways that it's going to go. Well, the, the biggest problem that sunk the – well, there were two big problems that took down the Farmer and uh, Petten regime. Um, and I guess they're intertwined. Number one was Johnny Manziel. And number two, and we'll get to him in a minute here, but um, number two was just the the lack of uh, cohesion and, and just being a, on the same page. That was the one thing that we kept hearing over, over and over and over again is that everybody in the organization, we need to have a, a unified building. Everybody's got to be on the same page. And I just I feel like when you're setting up your organization – to have your personnel department separate in reporting structure from the head coach and the head coach can bypass all those guys and go straight to the owner that you're creating a natural division right off the bat. So it's great that Sashi Brown is going to be in on the hiring of, of the new coach and that the coach is going to be in on the hiring of the general manager. But when things start getting ugly and they start going through the growing pains and everything associated with trying to get a struggling franchise off the ground. 
it could get real easy to start pointing fingers at one another. And you've created a scenario where it's going to be even easier than ever to do that. Yeah, do you think this this new structure is a like a direct reaction to Petten and Farmer to sort of eliminate the risk of the GM and uh, the coach not getting along? I think the hiring process is because, I, like you had mentioned earlier, with the way that Petten and Farmer were put together, it was uh, they were not that was not that was kind of doomed from the start i guess and trying to give guys input in terms of bringing the other ones in this time hopefully could alleviate some of that but man i just i don't know yeah i don't know it, it seems like one of these things where for whatever reason he he thinks my hunch is he thinks the two guys he had before were potentially both the right hires but because they didn't work great together, that was sort of the reason it didn't work. So he's trying to reinvent it there to where if he gets both hires, even if they don't really necessarily get along, one's not reporting to the other, and you know that, that won't necessarily sabotage whatever they have. But I just keep going back to it. There's a reason that it's always gone this way in the league. It's because it's the right way to go. Yeah. Uh, over the years, there's been, I mean, I'm sure owners have have thought that, hey, maybe we should try something different. And there's a reason no one sticks to it. There, because it doesn't work. No, I mean, it's, there it's, are a few it's, exceptions. It's a ridiculous idea. I mean, like, Bill Belichick is kind of an exception in New England, but he's got a bunch of Super Bowl rings that he can put down on the table if somebody... Yeah, if you have if you have that sort of, like, that sort of influence and that sort of experience... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's obviously that's a different that's a different animal. You already have a well-oiled machine. If you want to tweak it a little bit, okay, that's one thing. But when you're basically at square zero, which the Browns are at every year, you need to stick with a blueprint that's reliable and you can build on. If if the Browns want to go win 12 games, get to the playoffs and and maybe get to a Super Bowl and then say, "Hey, maybe we want to mess with the front office a little bit." Okay, I think it might be a little silly, but You've showed me that you at least know what you're doing. Yeah. This administration hasn't shown you anything. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. it was, uh, I can't remember, oh, damn it, I, I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody, one of the NFL national writers said the Browns are not the organization that's in a position right now to be reinventing the wheel with how to structure your, your front exactly. office. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have, like, a very clear blueprint that should be used to build from. That's how you should start. And, yeah, I realize he's been an owner for, what, three years now? I think he got it in 2012. Yes. But you've been rebuilding every season. Even this year, you won seven games last year. You shouldn't have been rebuilding. That should have given you building blocks. But you pretty much scrapped it and started from nothing again for whatever reason. Well, I could tell you a big reason was the fact that your offensive coordinator from last year put together a 32-slide PowerPoint on why he should be allowed to leave. That that <laughs> yeah, and he's already being shown the door in Atlanta though. So yeah, I'm not going to put too much into oh, that. Oh, did he get let um, go? And the offense, I I if he hasn't, he's got to be pretty damn close. I didn't see specifically that um, he had been let go, but I've been hearing for the last I don't know month or so that he was pretty much on the way out. No one there was really excited about him. Wow. Um, I mean, you look at that team though. 
that's to be expected. If you come in with the roster that they have in place and you perform the way that they did this year, yeah, you probably aren't going to be around very long because they're, I mean, they're already, I got to think they're near the end of that window, right? In terms of how, in terms of them like making a serious push. Because, uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, they were like the hot team that people were thinking, hey, maybe this team could, uh, this team could make some noise and maybe go win a Super Bowl. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what their offense was like this year, but I know they were pretty, pretty disappointed with the overall product they had. So I don't think anybody is safe in that on that. Team. Yeah, the Falcons got off to a really great start this year and they had the new head coach, I think Dan Quinn, and then uh really seemed to spiral over the last third of the season. So that's interesting though. I, yeah, I, I wasn't really paying too close of attention. Um Yeah, I mean they just I, I just feel like they're one of those teams that they've got the roster in place, you'd like to think at least. I mean their defense probably isn't that great, but Matt Ryan is is a guy you can win with. They have probably one of the two or three best wide receivers in the league. Devontae Freeman had a hell of a year. But for whatever reason, they just lost a lot of games. Um, so usually that's that's those are the teams that aren't going to give you a couple years to get your system in place and, and you know, grow like the Browns would be. Um, but in, in terms of Shanahan, I – I just feel like that whole coaching staff in general, the whole organization from GM on down through the coaching staff is just so dysfunctional that it didn't really matter that Kyle Shanahan did or didn't want to be here. That was just sort of a, I think that was just sort of a, uh, the epitome of the environment in that, in the, uh, in the facility there that the people just weren't on the same page and no one is really working together. And that, like we've said, we'll say it a million times and who knows if they'll ever get it right. But that's just not how you win. If everyone's not on the same page, you're not going to win consistently. It's not going to happen. And in in New England, everyone knows what Belichick's role is. It might be different than most head coaches everywhere else around the league, but everyone in Foxborough knows what he does. Sure. So it works because everyone's on the same page. There's a co- Cleveland doesn't have that. They I don't know that I don't know that they've ever had it since they've come back. No, no, but all right, so I'm just thinking about this going forward, and as they're trying to put this thing together now, and there's a, two things that really stick out to me. Number one is is Sashi Brown getting final say over the 53-man roster, which it just strikes me as being very odd given his background and his experience, and I know he's... There, there have been. I was reading some stories where there's some people around the league were saying some nice things about him today. Uh, uh, I know he's been involved with negotiating contracts and he's got a good reputation for dealing with agents. And uh, I, I think personality-wise, he has a lot of things going for him. But giving him that kind of responsibility right off the bat, before the search for the rest of your personnel really gets rolling, is um, odd. But do we think that do my hunch on that one is that 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 control over the 53 man roster that we keep throwing around I think that might be a little overblown in terms of how much control he'll have um my hunch is that it's going to be more of uh like as a cap guy he's going to be able to tell you how much you can afford what guys you can go after how to structure deals all that type of stuff and I think he's been doing um, that up to this point hasn't he Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's where it's probably where his strength is. Is like you said, he's a business guy. He's not. I mean, he's not a personnel guy. But um, Haslam kind of said, you know, he's going to be the guy that that helps differentiate between who should be fifty three and who should be fifty four. So stuff like that at the bottom of the roster, I'm not sure. I mean, time will tell how this actually plays out. Who's doing what? Um, but my hunch is, if that's true, and this this business guy is going to be ultimately in charge of who's on the football team. Good luck finding a GM that wants to be a part of that. Yeah, you know the uh, the other thing that really stuck out to me about all of this, and I had alluded to it a little bit earlier, is just the role of the coach and how he's going to be reporting directly to Jimmy Haslam, the owner, and. Th- just between that and the fact that the coach is going to have a lot of say in working with the front office to identify that general manager, do you get the feeling that they're trying to load up the coaching, the head coaching position to make it as attractive as possible and, and they're really going to lean on that person to kind of be the, the, the face of the, the front office? Well, I sure hope so. I mean, I kind of feel um, like they're they're trying to. You think they're you think they're kind of laying the groundwork to attract someone that they might not otherwise. Yeah, I just I think that they're that that position has kind of taken a beating with so much turnover, and I think a lot of good coaching candidates would be extremely wary of taking the Browns job, and I just wonder if the front office is looking at it, like how do we make this job as attractive as possible, and I just wonder if dangling that extra responsibility. And that extra level of uh, power, so to speak, would make that would help to make that job a little bit more appealing if you're a top flight candidate. Because there's a lot of other teams that they're going to be going up against uh, to try to land one of these top coaches. And I just, yeah, no I, I don't think I it's think a glamorous it. job. And and anybody associated with the Browns can talk to you until they're red in the face uh, about how what a great job it is and and put on a brave face publicly, but they know it's going to be a hard sell. Everybody knows. Everyone knows that. I mean, just look at who they've brought in historically. I mean, they haven't been able to get like a big name coach since who? Cronell maybe. Yeah. He's probably the last guy that was, that was semi in demand that could have gotten a job somewhere else, but no one was lining up for Pettin. No one was lining up for Chudzinski or, uh, Shermer, whose name escapes me, Shermer. Yeah, no one was lining up for those guys. They weren't getting other head coaching jobs. Man, Genie might have, so, but the 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 downfall with him was that I think if they'd uh, gotten him to agree to come in as just a coach and had their general manager at that point be a legitimate general manager instead of whatever George Kokinas was in the three months that he was here, um, right. that 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 one might have been different. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Mangini's downfall was kind of taking on that emperor role. Yeah, I think I think those – do you think that works? Like, do you think that can work places what? where the coach is doing both? Before, before it's already established, before they have a good, like, groundwork in place, do you think a team that is bad now and needs a lot of help should be having the same guy do both? I don't know if – how hands-on – he can be in in doing both and be successful, and I I think it's a right. very short list of people who could pull that off. But 
I, I think people, I, I think it can work if you have the right guy and he's willing to delegate, but ultimately oversee things. And Right, because there's a lot involved in both of those jobs. You can't possibly do everything that, that both of them need fully. But if you have the right people in place that work with you, you can you can maybe manage both. But I don't know. I feel like you need to have pretty good foundation already in place if you're going to go that route. Um, like maybe you're a team that's that's close. Like I think someone like I don't know the Rams maybe or someone like that who has some talent. They've got a good core, but maybe they need a really like because I think Jeff Fisher gets stale pretty pretty quickly to most teams you look at his record and it's, it's like he wins seven eight games every year and that's it they never really get any better if you're a team that's consistent and okay but but just needs to kind of get over the hump i think you can work there if you basically like the browns roster needs a complete overhaul yeah you i don't think you can have a guy doing both it's just too much work at this stage of where the browns are yeah and hopefully they get somebody in that general manager spot that uh can make some some sound contributions, and I think even it, it was encouraging to hear Haslam last night even say that talent acquisition has been a major problem for them. I mean, he's looking at the same roster that we are, and I, I appreciate the fact that he wasn't going to try to insult our intelligence and try to talk up. Like, hey, we got a lot of good players. <laughs> yeah, try to talk up the, yep. the players that they have. It, it, I mean, he knows. He sees everything that yep. we're seeing out there. So, well, let me ask you this. So, if you're him... And you're approaching these coaching candidates this week because I know they've got the some of their top candidates lined up for interviews. How are you selling that job to your top targets? Which the GM or the head coach? The head job? coach job because that's what they're going to apparently that's what they're going to go try to fill first. I mean it's it's a very difficult sell. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure how you can polish that up um, because any coach that's that's worth his salt knows that the roster is not very good. I think you're going to have a hard time appealing to a guy who who maybe has other offers. Can you think of a worse job? I can't. Um, and if that if that's what it comes down to and you're trying to sell them on something, yeah, maybe the fact that you'll have a little more say over personnel or something like that, if that's the case, I don't know if that is or not. Like We're so unclear about what the, what the head coach's role is actually going to be with this new structure that it's hard to really say. But I think you have to sort of give them, like you said, sort of that that illusion that they're going to be the face of the team. It's not going to be – I mean, the, every decision they'll probably be consulted on. Um, they'll have a lot of say over a lot of that stuff that head coaches might not normally have a say over. But I'm not even sure if that's appealing to a head coach. If a guy's getting like his first head coaching job, which I think is probably what they're going to have to end up getting, is one of those hot coordinators who's a who's a popular name, or maybe a Doug Marone. I think they'd probably love him if they could get him. But um, I just there's something about that position where it's at right now, especially with all this like ambiguity and uncertainty around what that role is going to be. That that alone, regardless of what you tell the candidate, I don't know that they can really even buy into it. There's three things that I think I would try to base my pitch around number one the fact that they basically have two first round picks because the patriots uh, had their first round pick taken away over the whole deflate gate thing so and the browns have the first pick of the second round so they have picks two and 32 i think they have 11 draft picks overall i think i read that um 
So either they can stockpile a lot of new players and turn over a huge portion of the roster, or they could package some of those picks together to go after some specific targets that they like in the middle rounds, which I think would be a good thing. Uh, Number two, I think it's really important to emphasize that they have a lot of cap space and he needs to, Jimmy Haslam needs to reassure whoever gets this job that if they have people in mind that can make a real difference, whether it's retaining a guy like an Alex Mack, if he's willing to stay here, or if it's bringing in a couple of uh, good locker room guys, because I think they're going to need a couple more of those to help calm the waters a little bit in the locker room. Um, some solid veterans. You've you got to be willing to spend that money, and I think there has been a reluctance. They, they always seem like they're at the bottom in payroll. Because, um, I mean, I know their defense is really uh, highly paid this year compared to most defenses around the league, but overall, wasn't their total payroll toward the bottom? It was pretty low, I know, but that's that's one of the things that I'll probably defend them on is that Jimmy said it yesterday, and he's he's one hundred percent right. The teams that are very good, they build in the they build through the draft. And one thing you don't want to do is hamper yourself with with overpaying, which it kind of seems like everyone, like any guy who you pay money to in free agency, it seems like they always get overpaid, and that's not exclusive to the Browns. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not saying spend for the sake effect. of spending because you're 100% right. If you get into that trap, you turn into the Redskins, although maybe they're a bad example because they're going to be in the playoffs this weekend. But um, I know that they are the big example of teams that have gone crazy in free agency and not had it pay off. And I, I wouldn't suggest doing that, but if, if you can be smart and target certain guys – and I think it's really important to try to lock up some of the guys that they have here who have shown some promise. Alex Mack was one of them. I know there are a couple other guys that are going to be coming up for contracts. Uh, Travis Benjamin, I think he's up for a new deal, and he's been a pretty solid contributor. I think they probably need to. They probably need to invest a little more into Dwayne Bow. Um, <laughs> Obviously, that that added job security might incentivize him to show up a little bit. Yeah. More. Uh, the time will tell. Those five catches he had this year, though, electric. They were. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh... Anyways. <laughs> oh, God. What a clown. Just... Nice catch out of prior, though. Yeah, he had a nice little play there. That was that was solid. I, I, would, I was hoping we would see something like that from him at some point this year. So it was nice to see, finally see him make a nice contribution there. That was, that was good. And, and then he got in there and scrapped a little bit. It seemed like he actually wanted to be playing. It was nice to I, see. I want him back next year. I, I think oh, as I a project... I think if you give him a full season and, and like he's, I mean, he's already shown you some of what he's can, what he can do. I think if, if they've kept him around and they've, they've actually gotten him on the field, they've been wanting to see what he can do. I think you have to keep him around get him healthy. Let him go through a full preseason. I don't think he's ever going to be your number one receiver or anything, but I also don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling or anywhere near what his full potential oh, is. I so I, w- I would like to see more out of him and see where he could go next year or even in two years. So, um, Absolutely. I agree. The thir- but what was your third point? I think I said Yeah, I was just going to say the third thing is I think Haslam's in a position right now where he really desperately needs to, to have a coach that he can keep for years. I, I think he's got a reputation of running an, instable organiz- an unstable organization and being too quick to fire people. And I, I think he wants nothing more than to have somebody that he can just say, give me something here. If, just give me any reason you possibly can Go to let me job. stick around. Yep. 
to let me, to let me, uh, you know, keep you around here for another few years. So like, if you could bring somebody in that shows any sort of upward mobility for the franchise and, and any sort of promise for the future, you're going to get time to build this. And it's a lo- I think it's a really low bar that you have to clear right now. Yeah, I would think so. Um, I think, I don't know if, if you're talking to a coach, the big elephant in the room is going to be what Johnny Manziel, right? Provided that they don't make a move on him before they start talking to coaches. Yeah, I. But if you're a coach, you need to know like what's the deal with this. Am I going to have to deal with this? If you are a coach who who likes that opportunity, do you say, "Hey, I'll start. I'll I'll if I come here, you need to keep him." Like, I don't know how many coaches are going to say that, but regardless, he's, he's still this like polarizing figure that it seems like even within the organization people either really want him or really can't stand him and i got the impression no matter what you're going to spend i think no matter what if you talk to these coaches you're going to spend a a significant amount of time talking about just him right no i I, a year ago i think that would have been the case i think johnny manzel had a lot of people still in the building who are going to rapidly support him and I don't think he has that now nearly as much as he did a year ago. Um, any defenders that he might add, I, I just I don't see how anybody in their right mind could could back him. And I think it was pretty telling when Haslam last night during his press conference even admitted that they didn't know where he was yesterday. Yeah. Um, it was funny how he like he didn't admit that he didn't know, but it was like. Well, from my understanding, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. Yeah, it, it just it, it felt very telling to me that that they were willing to finally admit that it might be time to send him packing, whether it's through a trade or releasing him or what. Yeah, he even let slip at one point. He was talking about how important the position of quarterback is and even let slip. We don't know what we'll do there. We have the second pick in the draft. Yeah. Like that, I mean, the writing's on the wall there, I think, with him. Um I don't know that I'm ready to talk draft yet. I don't know that I want to go quarterback, but regardless, I think if you're, so you think if you're Haslam and you're talking to a guy, you tell him what your decision is with Manziel, what you guys are going to do. I think you ultimately you would necessarily ask his opinion. I would it. put it in the, in the hands of the people that you bring in. And if they tell you, I, I would be shocked if anybody coming in says I can totally win with that guy and, and we need to keep him here. And I think, and that's yeah. why I think it's going to be incredibly hard to try to trade him to another organization and get anything in return. Because I mean, the the, the antics from this weekend, and um, our our buddy John was just texting me about this. The, did you hear the latest uh, part of the 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 whole Manzel in Vegas? Is this the, the yes? Wig? He was wearing a wig and yes. a mustache and glasses and going by the name Billy, going around trying to be someone else, <laughs> trying to avoid attention. Like, you don't, yeah, kind of circus. Like, if you're that kind of a jackass, and maybe he doesn't want to play for the Browns anymore, but if that's the kind of shit that you're pulling when you're a member of this organization and you're trying to get yourself moved, I just don't think you could magically flip a switch and turn into a model citizen somewhere else. You no, are who you are. Is, like, everyone, everyone's saying he wants to go to Dallas. If you're Jerry Jones, regardless of what you think of him, would you want a guy on your team who two years ago had to beg a team to draft him? And after they did, that's like the way that he rewards them. 
at no point in his tenure with the Browns has he acted like a guy who actually takes the job of quarterback in the NFL seriously. And I feel like even if even if Jerry Jones liked him two years ago come, come draft time, why would you want that guy in your building under any circumstances? I can't imagine he'd be appealing to anyone. You know, I think a lot of what makes – Mansell so interesting is that he was able to get away with so much of the off the field stuff when he was in college because his talent on the field and his production on the field made him worth the headache. And what I think all of the college is a different. Answer. Yeah. And, and what I think the people that defend him in the NFL um, lose sight of is that he hasn't really shown anything in terms of on the field production that would make him worth that headache now. The, uh, no. and it's everybody wants to like, Oh, he's, you know, he's an adult. He's not doing anything illegal. Right. But he's obviously creating a distraction. He's obviously creating a divide in your building and you're not really getting any sort of return on your investment when it comes to game day. So like, what the hell are you no. clinging to at this point with him? No. And that's the thing. And there's some, I, I even heard some people like that, have been so desperate to basically find something to like about Manziel that they're like, oh, he ran for a hundred yards last last week and he had a hundred. I think he had 150 yards passing. It's like, well, if that's if that's what you're looking for, you actually have a guy on your roster who's done that multiple times um, while also passing the ball effectively. Um, he's a wide receiver now, um, and he's wearing number 17. But yeah, and I think it's telling that in the NFL. To, to make it at this level, he had to switch to wide receiver because I just don't think a guy doing that, I, I don't think that works. That doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. You can't win consistently with it. RG3 did it his his rookie year, and, and once the tape gets out, I mean, that's it, it's it's how it's always been. Once the tape gets out on those type of guys, they'll let you run. They'll give you that because they know you're not going to beat them with your arm, and that's what quarterbacks are supposed to do beat you with their arm and, and it's clear as day that Manziel can't do that maybe he's capable but he doesn't seem willing to put the time and work in into doing that so until he gets there and who knows if he ever does he hasn't really given any indication that that's coming anytime soon obviously <laughs> um but I think you, you cut bait you take whatever you can get from him if Dallas wants to throw you a fifth or sixth Hey, good riddance, take it, get rid of him. But, I mean, they already took a huge chance on him, and he didn't he didn't reward that goodwill in any way, shape, or form since he's been here. So, I mean, fool me once, I guess. They need to just cut bait and move on, I think. Yeah, so in terms of the timeline on how all that would go down, I think leaving that in the hands of the new regime that comes in once everybody's hired – I think you can, from a timing perspective, I think you can make it work so that that ends up falling under the jurisdiction of the new guys. And I think it would really help reemphasize to the locker room, hey, there's a new sheriff here in town and he's not going to put up with the bullshit that the last guys did. And I think you could really drive that point home if you did the same thing with uh, our uh, our favorite uh, defensive back, the hard sleeper himself, Justin Gilbert. Oh my god! Did you? I, that blew my mind today when I heard that. Unbelievable! You say that out loud. Yeah, I was late for so many meetings last year because uh, I was a I'm a hard sleeper. Oh my goodness! Get it? 
Jesus, I guarantee the team could pay someone. You pay me a thousand dollars, I'll go wake him up every day. <laughs> I will do it myself. I could drop the people's elbow on him. I don't care. Oh my goodness, do something! You got to be kidding me. You're an adult at this point. They're paying you a ton of money. Get an alarm clock that wakes you up. Yeah. Pay someone to sleep next door and wake you up. And I feel like He's, if not that specific issue, just personality in general is the kind of thing that you can pick up from uh, pro days and in-person face-to-face interviews. And if there's, as the new front office settles in, if they learn nothing else from the previous regime, I hope they learn that Ray Farmer's we don't need to go to pro days uh, approach. Here, here's why that doesn't work. Because I feel like you could have picked up some red flags in Gilbert's personality just by talking to the kid. And I know that other teams, for a fact, I, I know that there were other teams that interviewed him on his pro day and didn't like some of his answers and took him off their board. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, you hear that from guys every year. Why the Browns weren't one of those guys? Who knows? Um, I think... Do you think that's the number one thing they need to take from Ray Farmer? I think they need to figure out that wide receivers are actually important. Yes. I I, I think that might be even more important, but you can have play, both. Playmakers so, in general. You, you need you, right. you need I, I just I really hope there's a few things I hope shake out of this whoever they bring in. I hope they bring in an offensive-minded head coach and I hope they bring back an emphasis on getting playmakers in here. Because if you look at the best team that they've had in the last 10 years or so that doesn't quite go back to their playoff berth in 2002, it was that 07 team that won 10 games. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was, the, it was the 07 team that won 10 games, and they had a quarterback who was a one-year wonder, Derek Anderson, but he put up Pro Bowl numbers. They had a great tight end in Kellen Winslow, and Braylon Edwards was a great wide receiver. And Jamal Lewis was a great running back. And all of those guys put up huge numbers. And they scored a ton of points. Now, they couldn't sustain that. But I don't think it's a coincidence that when they finally had an offense that with legitimate playmakers that was capable of putting up big points, they started winning games. It, it's, it's, it just goes back to my philosophy on sports in general. And I think this transcends whether it's football or it's basketball or it's baseball or whatever you have to be able to score and yes defense is important and i'm not saying you could totally ignore that but if you have a team with a really great offense you're always in the game if in the browns this year if they fell behind by 10 points they were effed because you knew they were not they don't have the horsepower to dig out of that kind of hole and I feel like if you have a team that you know is capable of putting up 30 points in a game, if you fall behind a little bit, it's obviously not a position you want to put yourself in regularly. But if you do, you still have hope. You still have a chance because you've got guys that can make plays. And and Ray Farmer, whether it was receivers or really devaluing the quarterback position, um, just never really seemed to understand that. So I, I hope whether it's a quarterback first, um, or any of the other uh, skill positions they look at, they, they need more horses there. At the same time, like sort of to that point, it's a lot easier to play defense when you got a lead. Oh hell yeah! When you're sc- when you're scoring points, you're even if even if you're not necessarily in the league, but you know if your defense goes out there and knows, hey, we get to stop our offense and get us right back in this. 
that you you just play a much different. Oh yeah, line. and if you get a lead, just, you know the other I mean, team's going to end up uh, having to throw the ball more, and you could peg your ears back and start teeing off. And then guys right. like a Paul Kruger, who you brought in to rush the passer, can actually go do that. When you can dictate what the other team has to do on offense, it just completely redefines how you're going to play the game. And it's been, yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at that team, that 07 team. They weren't they weren't that good on defense. I, I don't even know if they were good. They were probably mediocre. If I went back and looked, their numbers were probably okay. But a lot of it was that benefit of. They were playing ahead. They were scoring points. They were moving the ball really well. They had good field position a lot of the time. And if you have an offense that can do that for you, that's where it starts. And I also think it's easier to build there. I think it's easier to improve rapidly on offense than it is on defense. Just because if you get the right guy in at quarterback, like I think McCown could have been the right guy at quarterback if you had a couple more playmakers on offense. Um now, obviously, he was kind of beat up, and he, he's older, and he's susceptible to those injuries and stuff. But you got to admit, the way that he was moving the ball early on in the season was 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 intriguing, at least, because you could see sort of some potential there to what they were trying to do on offense. Yeah, I was surprised by the, uh, the production that he put up. I, I never would have seen that coming at this point. Uh, last year, if you and I mean, he had some he had some like red zone issues, and we didn't necessarily score as much as we should have for how much we were moving the ball. But still, that the, the way that the offense was moving, anyone that was watching it knew that the offense wasn't the problem. If the defense did marginally better, if they were average at the beginning of the season, um, you're probably in a much better position. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Quickly here before we wrap up, let me just ask you, do you have a feel knowing that the candidates, knowing which candidates are out there and some of the names that we've heard thrown around, do you have a feel for who you'd want to see get the job in a perfect scenario? Who I'd want to see get the job in a perfect scenario? Like realistically? Yeah, well. Or perfect scenario. Just, if you could get. Perfect scenario is you get some guy like Gruden who all of a sudden gets the itch again and wants to come coach. Do I think that's realistic? Probably not. But um, I, I will say this. The way that they're restructuring and everything, it, it gave me a little more intrigue into that, that longstanding rumor that Peyton Manning would want to come work for his buddy Haslam. And I hate to throw that in at the end. I know now that we're just about to wrap up, and it's, it's probably its own topic in and of itself. But if they are going to put a guy in place and maybe alleviate a little bit of the normal GM responsibilities to maybe give a guy some experience in that role before they put it all on him. The way they're going about it might not be the worst idea. And if they've already had that discussion about Peyton Manning, who knows? Um, as far as a coach, I don't know. They've thrown, I hear Marone thrown out a lot and I'm not sure if I'm super high on that. Um, if, if Sean Payton is as sour in New Orleans as everyone seems to say he is, that would be incredible, but I'm not sure why he'd want to come here. Yeah, I agree with that. Just to kind of build on your whole theory on Peyton Manning, I, I think you're... It's not a theory. Yeah, well, okay. It's just an observation. <laughs> your, your, uh, your, your pipe dream, I guess, then. Yes. Um, you know, the, the coach that would look great in that scenario... 
and it's somebody I believe they are talking to this week would be Adam Gase, the offensive coordinator with the Bears, because he was the offensive coordinator for the Broncos when Peyton Manning took them to the Super Bowl. And uh, I was going to say, even before you brought up Peyton Manning as a potential GM, that um, I thought Adam Gase would be the perfect coach to bring in here just because of his work with quarterbacks. I think personality-wise, going from Peyton Manning to Jay Cutler and getting very good seasons out of both of them says an awful lot about your abilities as a quarterback coach and an offensive guru, and it fits the mold of somebody that I want as a forward-thinking offensive mind that can help us put points on the board. So I I think that would be my first pick. I could see that. I think that's a, I think that's an intriguing one. I wouldn't be I'd be happy with that. I think one of the things I heard the other day was um, that like last time when they tried to interview Gase, he he kind of said no, not I'm not really interested at the moment. Um, I also heard that Peyton told Haslam he might not be ready yet. He might be a year or two away from that. So if if Peyton does give him that sort of that seal of approval, I guess that yeah, he's probably ready at this point. Maybe we're putting a little too much into Peyton Manning, at least me. Maybe I'm putting a little too much into Peyton Manning, but um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good sign that, yeah, like you said, he went from, uh, I think we can all agree that Peyton was still past his prime, even though he put up incredible numbers with Denver. Um, physically, he wasn't 100%. And a guy like Jay Cutler, who's been so consistently inconsistent over the course of his career to get a pretty good season out of him out of nowhere I think um, yeah like you said that says a lot I think he'd be a pretty good prospect for that job here's the thing I don't think Peyton Manning's going to end up here I, I think that would be a pretty wild and outrageous scenario but I will say this um, he's not going to be going anywhere as long as the Broncos are still alive in the playoffs and they've got the bye this week and uh, they'll be playing their first playoff game in the divisional round. So it's going to be a couple of weeks until he even begins to entertain thoughts as to what he's going to be doing with the next step of his career, whether it's uh, playing another season in Denver or uh, playing another season elsewhere, possibly, or moving on to a front office role or whatever. Uh, I think between now and whenever Denver gets knocked out of the playoffs, I think you're going to see a new Browns coach. I, I think this is not going to take as long as the Petten hiring took. And if somehow they could manage to get Gase to come in here in the next couple of weeks, because he's available to interview now, obviously, um, if they could somehow land him as their head coach, I think the possibility of Peyton Manning finding his way here next year, one way or the other, whether it's in a front office capacity or, and this isn't, don't totally rule this out. It's a one in maybe a thousand chance right now as a one-year stopgap as a player, actually a quarterback with the team next year. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I'm not, I'm... To what, tutor some guy that they drafted? Yep, an upgraded version of Josh McCown. Interesting. I, I just, there's a small part of me that wonders if... I won't discount it, but at the same time, I don't see... With, with the shape that Peyton's body is in, I don't see him wanting to be a stopgap guy for a year. Probably not, but that's I can also that's see... A lot, that's a lot of punishment on his body that's already taken quite a bit already. I could see a scenario, depending on how their postseason unfolds in Denver, I could see a scenario 
where they say, you know what, we're ready to go with Brock Osweiler full-time next year. He's our guy going forward, and we might take our lumps for a year or two early on, but we got to start turning the page. We had a nice run with Peyton Manning there for three or four years, but it's time. And him feeling like I still have something to prove. That wasn't the way I want to go out. I want to have one more year. And I don't know why he would want to do that with the Browns. It's going to take me until at least next episode, if not uh, until (laughs) opening day to come up with a reason as to why he'd want to do that here. But I'm just saying that maybe if you have Adam Gase here and he had a good relationship with him in Denver, that that's my one in a thousand. If they somehow manage to get Peyton Manning here to play quarterback, I would want to know. It, it would probably take a year to find out, but I would want to know what percentage of the team he gave him. Because <laughs> it's literally the only scenario I see where he actually wants to come play with this team. Although, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe the prospect of a pretty solid offensive line if Josh Gordon's able to come back, I know we'll keep sticking to that. But if he comes back, he, 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 honestly, if you plug him into that team, it's not that bad a situation for a quarterback all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. I, I, you have a pretty strong offensive line. If you have Josh Gordon and Travis Benjamin, then Barnage, who seemed to come out this year, is a pretty good tight end. Who knows if Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell can build on what they did at the end of this year. But... um it's not in terms of talent. It's not really that bad of a position. I like Gary Barnage a lot. I I like what I saw from Duke Johnson, and would definitely like to see more of him next year. Um, I I would be pretty surprised if Josh Gordon ever plays another game for the Browns. I feel like at this point he's he's almost. I feel like he's. I'm more confident than ever that he will. Just out of necessity, they they have nowhere else to turn. Just because. I think they've stuck with him. I think he seems to be in a pretty decent place. They've they control him for two more years. It doesn't hurt. Um, there's really zero reason for them to to get rid of him. He's cheap. They have him for two years. He can't. He doesn't have much choice but to play for them or sit out another two years. Well, maybe he's another uh, topic of conversation when they're interviewing these coaches and potential GMs. Yeah, who knows? But it'd be great if he could come back and be a semblance of what he was a couple of years ago. That'd be amazing. It, it would be. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> I I just don't but, see it. But, okay, hey, fair enough. I mean, but but you have to admit that if if you plug him at wide receiver, if he comes back and he is that type of guy, that's not a bad. That would help the situation. If you could get Josh Gordon from two years ago, that would help immensely. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Time will tell on that one. That'll be an interesting story. We'll, hopefully, we have we should know by the draft, right? Because that was right when it came down last year. Right. We should know whether he gets reinstated by the draft. So. Yeah, yeah. That that came down right around that time. I think it got announced. I think it got announced the the second day of the draft, but it, it had actually come down like the month prior. They just hadn't announced it yet. Yeah. Um, so he should be ready to come back, I think, in March. If, if I mean, if he's been passing his test, I assume if he hadn't passed the test this off season, we would have heard about it by now. But who knows with that guy? Who knows with the Browns? Fair, exactly. exactly. All right. Any parting shots? 
No. Um, Happy New Year. Yeah. How was New Year for you? Oh, you know, uh, it was good. Um, the uh, the little one stayed up till midnight, and then nice. at about twelve oh eight, had a complete and total meltdown. But uh, oh. yeah, <laughs> that, that was a little less fun. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a good New Year's Eve, and then um, uh, enjoyed a bunch of uh, pretty underwhelming bowls on New Year's Day. Okay, but I will say that uh, it was a good kind of underwhelming for Ohio State. It, I, oh, yeah. I I will take that kind of uh, underwhelming any day of the week. Absolutely, um, I was down in I I was I spent a lot of time in the car. I went down to Dayton for New Year's Eve actually um, to visit one of my girlfriend's friends that lived down there. <clears> that was in that's town. that's that's um, your fiance now. Hey, we're sticking. We we don't like the word fiance. It just feels pretentious. Oh, okay. Sticking with girlfriends still for the meantime. All right, <laughs> but but um. Yeah, we stopped by. I told my friend uh, Brian Mako I would say hello to him. If he's still listening at an hour, I'll be stunned because <laughs> he's not even a Browns fan. But um, they were wonderful hosts. That was a good New Year's. Uh, we drove back on New Year's Day, watched some bowls. And, yeah, it was nice to see Ohio State. It's going to be interesting to see what they look like next year because there is an, a mass exodus of underclassmen leaving that team now. They're looking at possibly nine guys going to the draft early, which is – insane i think the previous record was three for ohio state so that's it's going to be a a much different looking team next year yeah yeah that uh that i i will say though that if there is a program that can handle that i i think it's uh the old buckeyes there they'll be all right yeah it's there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of question marks but yeah the talent is definitely there so that's probably for we'll save that for a different day though. fair enough All right, everybody, uh, as always, you can uh, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening app, and all of our past episodes can be found on our website, thedalepodcast.com. And I just want to throw it out there, if you have a question for a show or uh, a guest uh, that you'd like us to bring on in the future, uh, we could try, Um, let us know. Uh, You can either uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter, email, however you would normally get in touch with us. But, uh, yeah, I think that'll take it uh, for this week. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week, and we'll talk to you then. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews, and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform, or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at hitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.